Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon, and I am your host. Before we get started, want to announce the winner of our weekly higher or lower game from last week, and it was Vincent Caputo with a high score of 46. With that, Vincent won a $100 Amazon gift card, which was sponsored by our friends at Diesel Laptops. Congratulations on the gift card, Vincent. Unfortunately, you did not turn over the Queen of Hearts, and that pot increases to $1,700. Now, with the app itself, we have made some changes here, and I think you'll notice it when you update the app. We've now combined the challenges and the games into one tab, and we've also added an Instagram-style feed of videos from the shops that are on our Top Shops program. What those videos are meant to do are really kind of give you an update to how the shops are doing, what they're doing in their shops, maybe what the shops look like, and really it's done a really good job at showing the personalities of the folks in those shops. So it's really cool. Make sure you update the app. Check out the videos. There are some really, really well done videos out there and some that really give you a chance to get to know the shops and, and the people in them. As far as this week's episode goes, I got to sit down with Zach Espinosa, who is a technician that's currently going through the process of making a change in his job, right? So he's changing from one dealership to another dealership, and he's really in the thick of things right now. So we get to sit down with him, talk through the decision-making process, what made him look in the first place, and then what all went along with that as he's going through and looking at a potential shop to work for. So really cool episode. Zach's a really, really good guy, and I think you're all going to enjoy it a lot. So enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you next week. On today's show, I am really, really happy to have Zach Espinosa uh, join me. Zach and I have had some really great conversations. Zach uh, participated in Tech Mission, and there were some things that came out of the discussions that Zach and I had that really fascinated me and wanted me to get him on the podcast as fast as possible, just because there were so many great opportunities to talk through things. So welcome to the show, Zach. I, I'm really, really excited to have you here and, and uh, dive into a couple of really, really hot topics. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you to start off. What about your background? How did you get started in this business? Well, honestly, it was kind of a thing where I was 18, 19 years old and just kind of looking for a career. And I am sure many people's parents, you know, told them they needed to to get something going or go to school, you know, and I, I just ended up uh, getting into cars just based off of, you know, my dad used to have an old 65 Mustang he used to like to talk about. And and growing up, I, I lived uh, watching him have issues with his car and stuff like that. And I always wanted to just help, you know, and I decided, you know, maybe I'll go into the automotive industry because the worst case scenario, you know, I learn a skill and then move on. And I fell in love with the industry. I, I like what I do. I love going to work and work with my hands. And and it's it's a real challenging but rewarding thing to be a part of uh, a lot of times. And it just kind of kind of went from there. So how did you did you go to school then, or did you go straight into a shop, or how how did that go? Uh, I went to school. I actually signed up with UTI. I'm, sh- I'm sure a lot of people did and took their program, which was really helpful. Got me uh, a lot of interest in the industry from 
employers right off the bat, obviously entry level at the time, but uh, I was able to use the knowledge that I gained from there to move forward in the industry. And now, you know, 10 years later, here I am flat rate technician doing it as good as I can. It goes fast, right? It does. It, it seems like I've been in the industry my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so in your first job out of school, were you, did you get put on a Lubrac or how, how did, what was your introduction into shop life? I got started as a porter. I was part-time. They picked me up. I, I did the Toyota TPAT program, uh, trying to become a certified Toyota technician. So I started part-time while I was in school as a porter. And then once I graduated immediately afterwards, I was moved into a, a Lubrac and worked there for about two and a half years before actually moving on into anything bigger. Were you, uh, talk to me a little bit about your patience level while on the Lubrac. Were you, were you thinking, okay, man, I just went and spent all this money on school and I'm stuck on the Lubrac or did you know and go in with the understanding that, Hey, you know what? I gotta, I gotta kind of bide my time here and, and kind of pay my dues before I get into the shop. I think, I think that the patience level was a lot shorter with the people around me uh, than it was for me because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know anything about the industry really i didn't have any family members that were in the industry uh, of my immediate family at the time and i just kind of my attitude was just i'm gonna come in here i'm gonna do the best that i can and move up as fast as i can so i was pretty patient up until i left that particular dealership and realized that i had enough experience and i wanted to learn more and that's where the the real hunger to learn more and the drive came from to give me what I needed for what I do now. How, how, how much pressure was there when you got on the big stage, when you left the, the Lubrac and got into <laughs> like, okay, now I'm actually doing the, the stuff. Uh, you know, it was, it was a considerable amount of pressure just because for me personally, I, I'm looking at someone's car and, and you don't know the effect of I'm doing a major repair on someone's car. And then you see car seats in the back. You know, you're thinking this is someone's family. This is their car. This isn't something that is just put here for me to try and work on. This is the real deal. But it was really easy for me to get out of that just because I had a lot of support from the people around me. And I did have a lot of knowledge already that I just didn't have that confidence in myself yet because I hadn't done it. But but it was a pretty good amount of pressure to start off with. Well, how important is that piece right there that you just talked about? The, the people that surround you when you come in the shop, you know, and really are contributing for the first time. And I shouldn't say contributing because I, I think folks that work on the Lubrac and Porters, oftentimes I think they're drastically underrated in terms of what they do for a dealership in particular. But when when you get into the shop and you're working on things and, you know, I you, you mentioned it, the perspective you get when you see that car seat in the backseat and kind of freaks you out a little bit, right? Like yeah, that makes a simple brake yeah. job seem a little bit more intimidating. But do you, when you talk about those people that surrounded you when you first got out in the shop, how impactful was that to you and and making you a career technician or somebody that is has really taken pride in this business? I've found that most of the growth that I've made can be attributed to the people around me. And it is very important for you to understand when, especially in the beginning, that the people that are around you have been there a little bit longer, even if it is just a little bit longer. And nobody wants to see anyone else fail. 
and and it is important to to make sure you're getting that kind of help. And it is great to be in a shop where those people aren't uh, just trying to brush you off because you're the new guy, but will put that time and effort into you to make you a, a better technician for not only yourself, but the, the shop as a whole, because in reality, it, it's like you said, every piece of the puzzle really does make a difference, especially working like I've worked at dealerships for most of my career and everything brings that customer through the door. It's not just the quality of work. It's the experience that they get when they come into the drive. It's the customer relations that they get from the people that they talk to. And even the people that they don't like service porters, bringing their car up to them. How polite are you? Did you say thank you for coming or we'll see you again soon? Did you make that kind of effort to just say those little things? So it is a really big part of making you a successful individual to have that surrounding to help you along the way. Well, and I feel like you've taken that and then you're kind of paying it forward now, right? As you've gotten into the industry longer and longer, maybe you see those young people entering the industry now and are, are really trying to offer them a helping hand or uh, maybe be a mentor for them, even if that's not assigned to you, you know, trying to make their lives a little bit easier, right? Yeah. I mean, if I could make, if I could take one, it, let's just say, for example, a lube tech that's brand new into the industry and give him a better idea, better understanding on how to work on a vehicle or, or maybe even what to look for when recommending certain services or repairs on a vehicle. Not only does that help him, but in the long run, it helps me because I, as a flat rate technician, trust my team to know what they're doing to get those additional repairs sold so that I can do the repairs and, and essentially make a living. And I have always been a very big advocate of if you have a question, whether or not you feel that it's dumb, ask me because I don't believe in stupid questions. The only stupid question is the one you didn't ask. Well, and how often with a young person, are they intimidated or scared to ask a question and they just try to they try to just make their way through a job when if they would ask the question one, it would get fixed correctly and two or diagnosed correctly. Right. I think a lot of young technicians with that diagnostic side, a lot of times they haven't heard things, you know, in what might seem like common sense to a veteran technician isn't so for a young tech. And I, I go back to my experience coming up in the industry and I didn't have nice cars in high school, right? I did not have, it was whatever I could kind of piece together to, to keep going. And so I didn't know what a new car sounded like. I didn't know what a new car, I didn't know a new car didn't make some of those noises that my old 87 Ford Ranger made, right? Like I, I just always thought that's kind of what cars were. And then when you get exposed to nice cars later in life, I think you start to understand, okay, this is how it's supposed to drive. This is how it's supposed to sound. And maybe you don't hear those things. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's as much of a problem now, but that was my experience. I just didn't have exposure to those really nice cars that really to understand how they ran when they were running right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do see more often than I think any shop would like to admit, but that is a frequent occurrence. You get a lot of guys that come into the industry and they see the flat rate technicians just putting their heads down and working. And maybe they think, oh, that guy looks mean or, or I don't want to talk to him. Or <laughs> Some of them do him. look mean. I'm not going to lie. No, they no. do. <laughs> they, they do. But I mean, you, you bust your knuckle with your 22 millimeter wrench and you'd be pretty mean too. Yes. Yes. 100%. Um, 
Yeah. But that's, that's just it. You know, they, they are sometimes afraid of making that kind of relationship or trying to make that effort. And, and it oftentimes helps if maybe you make the first move as a flat rate technician, like make a point to go introduce yourself to a newer, uh, newer technician and, and open that line of communication to where maybe they're more comfortable with going to you and asking you a question or a little bit, uh, little bit less afraid to to go reach out for some help but you do see it uh frequently i know it was for me it was the same deal i didn't know anything and i didn't want a lot of people to know i didn't know very much so i would break something before i had asked a question and and then the flat rate guy would look at me and say why didn't you just ask me and then i was like well i didn't want to interrupt or i wanted to try and learn he's like well how are you going to learn if you don't ask and and that i mean Simply put, you know, how are you going to learn if you don't ask? Right, right. Yeah. So that that brings me into you mentioned a couple times the flat rate word, right? And in some cases, that is maybe a negative connotation behind it. And sometimes it's it's a good thing. And I think that's what our conversation today is about is really learning about this. And so for those listeners out there that are are tuning in. Zach and I had a really good conversation about a week or so ago, and what we talked about is something that Zach's going through right now, and that is maybe looking at a new opportunity. And so what we wanted to do was just kind of take a step back and walk through Zach's journey here, right? And and pay is a big piece of this and being able to understand what his thought process is as he's going through this currently. So Without naming names of dealerships with the respect of the, the businesses, right? I, I do want to ask you, with your current job, you weren't necessarily unhappy, right? Right. Yeah, it was. I wasn't unhappy there. I like the people I work with. I like the company I work for. It just came down to, like you said, the the last bot. I mean, if you had to just black and white define what it was, it was a dollar amount issue, but I did like where I worked. I didn't want to move. And and I find that that is an often occurrence in this industry. I see it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I agree. How, how much do you think technicians that are on the floor understand how, how much in need they are right now? I'm assuming in this scenario, you had been approached by the other shop multiple times right and I, i'm guessing that's that's not that's not unusual for a tech right now right not nowadays especially not nowadays but i would i would say that a lot of people that don't use uh job searching or some sort of platform to put themselves out there on don't really know how in demand sure. they are unless they hear it from other people yeah and and so to give folks a background on what level of technician you currently are what what types of certifications do you have or I maybe have, even just experience whatever you want to go on i have uh 10 years of experience in the industry and, and that's including my schooling and the only reason i include that is because it was so hands-on so we were working on engines and uh ASE recognizes that as work experience so i count it i have five ases currently and I have a smog license that I work in California. So that's important to have here, especially if you want to have that little niche. It really definitely, it definitely helps. I have my 609 refrigerant certification and a few other th certifications that I don't really carry just because they're, they're not really relevant. But I did receive a few from uh, UTI's program that, that I don't usually use on a day to day. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I've been, 
in the industry a very long time and this 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 whole us being in need has never been never been more prevalent as it is today right right and that's i'm assuming you've had some factory training and that sort of thing too right of course you yeah. have uh, yeah. along the way you're always training never not <laughs> always training. right yeah. so so the the reason i wanted to clarify that is to just point out the fact that Zach is an experienced tech. If you were to to rate yourself A, B, C level, where would you fall at? I'm an A level technician. A level, uh, so good with diagnostics, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get everything under the sun, and I do currently and have been working for Honda uh, as a company at different dealerships. But I've been working for Honda for about four years, and I see Hondas, Chevys, Fords, all of it. I, I work on anything they ask me to. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So this, it, it, it came down to, so what, what even kind of entered your mind when you started thinking about, okay, maybe there are other opportunities out there that aren't in this dealership. Did you look internally at the dealership before really kind of taking anything else seriously? I had, uh, I did look at a few things before I had been given a couple of opportunities while at the dealership to progress not necessarily upwards just because at my level i'm kind of capped that the next level for me would be a foreman and uh, we already had one so i had been given uh, additional opportunities that seemed to have possibly been more lucrative but they turned out not to be as lucrative as they were presented and i you know i'm always i'm always looking it's not that I'm always looking to make a move. It's not that I'm jumping around for a dollar, you know, but I'm always looking. If someone's got something that they want to say to me, I always listen. And for in this particular instance, it just got to the point where they had said the right thing and gave me the right kind of incentive and the right kind of ability to progress. And I moved forward with talking to them and it just kind of worked out that way. So, and then obviously after the fact, I had a conversation with my dealership and, you know, the things didn't work out on that end. So (laughs) what was it that caught your eye about the other dealership? Uh, The pay structure. It was a huge thing. And I know that in talking with plenty of technicians, and I know we talked about it a little bit during tech mission, flat rate technicians are not something that should be pushed nowadays. And I don't even know if I would say pushed is the right word, but but the flat rate pay structure is so outdated, in my opinion. In the last two years, we have seen significant changes in the automotive industry And they have just caught us by complete surprise. And the work isn't coming in in the same way or to the same capacity that it's been coming in in previous years. And the way that they pay us over there is a more productivity-based pay, but without relying entirely on the vehicles coming through the door. A lot of dealerships in, in my area, we have a double minimum wage as the minimum pay that they pay us just to come to the dealership with our own tools. And that's usually your base pay when you go into the dealership. So you make that no matter what. Now, depending on your experience, and especially if you have way more experience, like like myself and people that are way more experienced than myself, that spread becomes very large between your base pay and your flat rate pay. And, and that's what the issue that's where the issue comes in 
So when you're getting paid flat rate, you as a technician are essentially taking a chance on the dealership to provide you with the work necessary for you to make the pay that you are essentially signed on for. And this new pay structure, you get a much, much higher base pay just to be there. And then your productivity is tracked over, over the span of multiple months. And then they take that number and they give you a bonus based off of your productivity. And obviously over a hundred percent, you're making a little bit more money. So your, your base dollar amount looks a lot higher because you're making that extra incentive. And what they've successfully done. And the reason that, that I was just like, wow, I'm okay. I'm actually going to take a look at this is they are taking a chance on me to be able to complete the work to the capacity that they believe that I can without having to have me take that chance that they're going to be able to provide me with the work because my bottom dollar is still a relatively decent pay. And I think that's much, much more fair for technicians nowadays, just because the work isn't really there. And I mean, warranty times are what we're seeing most of, and those are really low. So it's difficult to make your money. And, and it's hard, especially for people with families to make the minimum and go home with that being enough. Right. So what, what scares you more when you're on the flat rate side? So uh, say you're, you're in the former dealership and you're being, pl- you're being paid flat rate. Is it the, the, uncertainty of kind of the roller coaster of one week getting a lot and the next week or the one paycheck getting a lot next paycheck, maybe not as much, or is it just the floor and knowing that that floor could go so low that you're not going to pay your bills that month? Like what is like, and maybe it's a combination of both, but I'm interested to hear if it's just like the butterflies of like, Oh man, I just, I don't know if it's going to be high or low, but give me an idea of what is it that is so scary about it? It is, it is kind of a mixture of both because, you know, you don't really know week to week. I mean, you can kind of predict it based off of season because seasonally winter time is slow. Summertime is busier. So you can kind of predict that fluctuation week to week, especially in the past two years, it's so different because you can end up with a packed week where you're getting 150 appointments. Obviously for our dealership, it was specific uh, to that, but 150 appointments is a lot, you know, that's a great, a great day. And then you're doing that every day of the week, but then the next week you make maybe 80 appointments in that week, or, you know, I mean, it gets way slower the next week. So you're looking at a a massive fluctuation to where it makes it very difficult to make your, your flat rate pay. And, And that's what does scare you because you do get those where you're like, wow, I'm having a really good week. I'm at hundred percent this week. I'm doing good. And then the next week it drops you down so significantly to where you're not getting paid for those hours at the rate that you're supposed to be getting paid for them. You're just going to have to take home your minimum. And, and that attitude too, where the, the dealership is like, well, we're sorry, this is what you have to take home. You know, I don't like the fact that it's like, well, what do I do? And this isn't my fault. If it were up to me, I'd work all day. I'd work overtime, but you know, it's not up to me. (laughs) So, so is it a little bit of your, it's the cyclical nature of the repair business on top of maybe you have a, a great service advisor. Maybe you have a not so great service advisor and that can impact the amount of work you get. 
overall, it's probably more, and this is what I gather from you, Zach, is it's more of the uncontrollable, the things that are out of your control that you really, you can't just go work on something that's not there. Is is that right? And I wanted to just make sure I'm hearing you right there. Yeah. That, and that's it. That's it. You know, like I would work, like I said, you know, I would work as many hours as I could pump out in a day. And it's just not knowing that that work is going to be there. But it also does come down to sometimes the advisors, not at our particular dealership. If an advisor calls out or is not there, they immediately take off 20 for that whole day because each advisor is expected to write 20 appointments a day. Now that takes your 150 appointments for that day down to 120 or 130 uh, appointments and what at that point you're really just kind of telling your technician well we have an advisor out on vacation so we can't work as much and and it's like well hold on a minute i i don't know what you're talking about but that that plays really big into it and just having that security that kind of guarantee that just because the work's not here or because an advisor's not here or you know, some unforeseen kind of, or even planned loss in, in any kind of work, it's not going to affect your pay as much. So you take home a much more regular paycheck. And and like I said, I live in California. It is very expensive to live out here and, and you God do have you. to plan. <laughs> <laughs> we do what we can, you know? <laughs> so, so is that. Give me an idea. Warranty rates per manufacturer, right? And I'm I'm curious as to your your buddies that are out there that are technicians that maybe work at competing lines, or is there a sense on which manufacturers pay all right on warranty and which ones don't? The general consensus, from what I've gathered from multiple people that work in different manufacturers, is warranty doesn't like to pay much, kind of across the board. Right. And and I've actually been told by I was taking a class and uh, I was talking, they were giving us an update on the uh, Takata airbag recall. I know that a lot of manufacturers are having this issue right now and have been for a little while. They were talking about us inspecting additional parts and having to go through. I'm sorry, it wasn't even the Takata airbag recall, but either way, they were telling us that we needed to do a couple extra steps in the in the recall, check other connectors throughout the vehicle. And I said, oh, will there be an additional kind of labor time added if other connectors are needing to be inspected or an op code to where you can add a little bit of time to check these connectors? And their first reaction was laughter. And I... I yeah it was it was crazy to me cuz I'm like hold on a minute like I understand that you know the notion is a little bit funny but but like I was serious is there going to be an op code added just asking purely for the bulletin itself <laughs> and she says you know that we don't like to pay more for you know the recall and, and I was I was blown away because I was like are you really telling me this right now and I said no I'm not looking for you know, more money, but you like a did handout. Ask, yeah. Yeah. I was like, you guys just asked us to do a little bit more work and you guys are pretty good about every step of the process in a, a warranty uh, recall or campaign or anything. You have a code or, or something because so, you guys want to know what we're doing, but it's good to know, you know, that's what the warranty is thinking is just, oh no, we don't like to pay out for that. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's the, 
the business side that gets a, a bit frustrating from the standpoint of we're, we're trying so hard. I, I know from the manufacturer side and maybe mostly the manufacturer side where you, you don't want to just throw parts at things, right? But right. I think in some cases, the warranty system has really promoted that because if you're not going to get paid extra time on diagnostics or you're not going to get paid extra time to do more pre- preventative checking, what ends up happening is a flat rate tech's going to say, I'm not wasting my time on this. I'll just yeah. throw it at, you know, at least that's what I've seen. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been removed from the dealership world, but I, do, do you see anything similar to that where it, it causes more of maybe that type of activity? Well, I can uh, almost confidently say that nothing has changed since you've been out of the game. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, that's we do replace more warranty parts than we do any kind of repair on the warranty parts. They don't particularly like to pay more labor time, so they try and save as much as they can on that. And as far as like component replacement, there uh, a lot of times some companies are a little bit more laxed about uh, replacing parts well they'll, they'll only need a couple of pictures or, or a little bit of information and they want or they want you to contact their tech line or tech support in order to get some kind of answer just so there's a case out there but some manufacturers nowadays are so scrutinous about how they they want you to take photos and videos and and do tests and submit all your findings and 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 all that stuff but all of that has to be lumped under probably about an hour or seven tenths of an hour of labor. And you're sometimes on there is sometimes you're there for uh, 20, 30 minutes and you get it all done and they accept your, your claim and you go on to doing the repair, but sometimes you are talking back and forth for days. And I've had personal experience with this in the past few weeks, just going back and forth with, with the manufacturer for days and days before they're like, all right, we'll replace that. And you're just like, man, I spent hours on this thing and there's there's no coverage for you, really. It's it's up to your dealership to to either eat that time for you or say again, hey, sorry, that's that's what they pay. Which is unfortunate, right? Because and this is where I, I hope at some point we can have a really honest discussion between and maybe this will be a podcast at some point, but a really honest conversation between an OE, a dealership and a technician or you know some something along those lines to just talk through some of that because i feel like dealerships are so scared to go against the OE in the regard that they don't want to they don't want to do something that's shady for the most part right like they they're right. trying to do it in an ethical manner but at the same time I really don't feel like the the dealership should have to take on that that added responsibility or or have to pay for things that they're paying for somebody to do but it's not getting done the kind of thing and equally the technician shouldn't have to eat that because they're actually doing the work and so I I think that's where having open conversations around it in ways that maybe we can talk and, and listen to understand the other person's perspective and where they're coming yeah. from. I think a lot of times when we get those three at the same table, it's people fighting for their stance rather than listening to the other person. And I think we could we could make a lot of gains just by having that honest conversation and listen to each other and and in a way that we can be candid, right? I think there's times where people will hold back because they don't want it held against them and they don't want, you know, that to backfire yeah. on them by being candid and honest, right? So I, I think 
that's a great point, Zach. I think there's a lot of great points that you just made there. Now let's look at kind of shift to this decision-making process. And so just to clarify, current dealership and then future dealership, current dealership is a straight flat rate type of model, right? Yes. Future future dealership is more of a hybrid type of pay? Yeah, definitely. They're a much more, I feel, updated and a forward-thinking type of pay than a lot of dealerships in my area. And I've worked for a lot of dealerships and other shops in the area. And this is the, I can honestly say this is the first time that I've been a part of a pay system that's like this working on gasoline engines. I have to be specific because I worked in an all electric vehicle <laughs> company. We won't name names, but they, they also didn't pay flat rate, which I thought was great. I, I don't think the flat rate is something that we should stick with. So did that, in your experience, did your productivity change when you were on flat rate versus maybe an hourly or hybrid type of model. And I know a lot of those managers that are out there listening to this right now are like, yeah, it sounds great to do hourly, but I'm not going to get nearly the production out of these techs if they're, (laughs) if they're not driven by it. Right. Yeah. Well, it it did change. And the closest example I would have is just going from the lube rack onto a flat rate technician. I exponentially made more uh, productivity percentages when I was a flat rate technician, because they want essentially from what I've been made to understand, if you're over 92% in your productivity, you are making money for whoever you're working for. So they would want to feed as much as they can to me, because the higher percentage of productivity I am, the more money that they're making. And on the adverse of that, the less money they're essentially paying me in the long run, because they're making so much labor dollars, which is where technicians get frustrated with the flat rate system is like how much of how much of your hourly rate are you actually paying your technician and how much of that hourly rate could you actually pay them without losing a profit? And and that's that's where the frustration kind of comes from, where hybrid pay systems have kind of taken that away. And I think that people that talk about hybrid pay systems or even an hourly pay system uh, being not as lucrative for their company, I think that they are looking at it kind of in the wrong way. Because if you're paying me as a flat rate technician who has bought their own tools, repaired their own tools, and sometimes made our own tools, you're talking to me about, okay, well, there's no work and you're paying me hourly. Well, what else do you need done at the dealership? Like it gives me time to maintain my work area, clean my work area, you know, reorganize my tools. Maybe it doesn't seem like something a manufacturer would want you to do, but imagine how much more efficient I'd be if, if my area was clean or if everything was prepped and ready to go for the next day, or maybe there's something that the, the dealership needs and, and good luck getting a flat rate technician or technician to do this, but what other things do you need? Do you need something cleaned? Do you need maybe a shop vehicle needs work on it? Or maybe you've got some manufacturer training that you need done. You know, there are other things that you can do to, to bide your time or, or to be productive in other ways without uh, affecting the, the dollar amount of the dealership. Or, I mean, and this is the last thing that I'd like to do, or just go home. 
I mean, simply, you know, take off early, go spend some time with your family. If, you know, that's not something you want to do, obviously, you would have to discuss your particular situation with your manager. But a lot of times, you know, you're going home a little bit early and and you could a lot of us do work for friends or relatives that also make us money that could that could potentially happen. But I mean, I think that it's it's kind of a negative way to look at it as saying it's it costs more money than it's worth. Yeah, I so here in in my training, and this is the way that I was brought up, was you wanted to feed your your high dollar techs your high dollar work, right? Because you you know ultimately, if you're paying them that higher wage, you you didn't want them working on internal stuff. You didn't want them working on like cleaning or whatever. You know, and this is the the hard part. Because I think there's impact in that. And if you're paying hourly and you've got some type of incentive system built in, I think that tech maybe takes a little bit more time with that entry level technician to help, you know, guide them along and hopefully build another great technician. But when it comes down to dollars and cents, that's the hard part. I think a lot of times from the management side is being able to to justify that, right? And if you see that that high dollar tech pushing a broom around. It, it almost, and this is just me, me me being honest, is it would give me butterflies because I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> we're paying that person a yeah. lot of money to push that broom around. So I think the cool part about our discussion and our conversation here is being able to have that conversation, right? And this is what I would encourage a lot of management and technicians to do is sit down and talk through this. And everybody's got a unique situation and scenario on how they look at this, but even if you can't do that, if if you're if you're a dealer principal saying, hey, you know what, we're not paying that person to just push a broom around. They got to be working on stuff. Having that candid conversation, there's so much impact in that because if they yeah. know why there's something that needs to go into that, I think that's unique. The other point that I would make, and this is something that I think we learned over the course of Tech Mission. My business partner Mark did a panel on flat rate, and one thing that Mark came back to me and said was, you know what, a lot of these shops are advertising flat rate, but not very many of these flat rate systems are exactly the same. There's different aspects to different types of flat rate systems. Some have a guarantee so that you don't have to worry about the really, really low times. Some don't. Some just are, you know, you're going to get paid on the work that you put out. And so, for those technicians that are kind of looking at different opportunities, that's one thing I would point out is that there are different versions of flat rate and different ways of doing it. And I think the common perception is if you look at a job ad and it says we pay flat rate, everybody goes directly to like, oh no, like this is this isn't this is what I'm trying yeah. to get away from, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I I would have to agree in a lot of situations, especially now, you know, that we are in this state on a type of guarantee to where we are guaranteed a certain dollar amount just to be there and also on a flat rate system. But like I said before, that that gap is usually so big that that you're it's the difference between you're making, you know, six figures in your sometimes. And, you know, and I would say honestly, too, to to managers possibly listening to this, I, I would say what could that flat rate technician or a hourly technician in this instance, what could that technician do for your other technicians? 
like possibly introduce an, an apprenticeship program? Is it such a bad idea to have an hourly guy learning from a guy who's making a little bit more, but is productivity based? I actually had this conversation with, with my current employer, soon to be previous employer. And I said, why don't we have, while we're slow, the hourly guys coming over here with the work that they're getting, no matter how, how big or small, and just having things pointed out to them. Like this, let's say that I have a, an hourly guy in my stall and he's got just a 5k, just an LOF rotate. And it's on a, a higher mileage, older vehicle. He brings it into my stall and that oil change that's getting done is getting done by your, your lube tech, your up and comer, but it's getting looked at by the flat rate or, you know, then, like I said, in this instance, the, your, your productivity based guy, and he, you're looking at it through his eyes and he can translate things to the hourly guy saying, Hey, look at this. You want to look out for this on this vehicle of this year because it's a common issue or you know when you're doing this tire rotation if you do it this way as opposed to the way that you're doing it it's more efficient or even something as simple as how often are you raising and lowering your rack because believe me if you haven't heard it before it is a thing that managers will talk to you about because they don't want any okay i'm going up with it and then down with it i gotta go back up with it and i gotta go back down with it they don't want any of that it should be one fluid motion the car goes up once it goes down once and hopefully it goes down in a controlled way once <laughs> so it, i talked to, to a manager about this and he thought it was a great idea and it's because you can eat that hourly wage on the hourly guy but you can't necessarily cover the wage of your productivity based guy, because it is so much higher. We lose money on oil changes. It's, it's no secret that dealerships lose money on oil changes, but they're bringing them in for the customer service and the possibility of an additional sale. And if you have a guy that doesn't know what he's looking at, but could know what he's looking at, if given just a little bit extra time, then you're wasting potential for a, an additional sale for the dealership, which is what they're looking at or what I'm looking at is be a customer with an issue that could possibly progress into something that's much worse that we can catch right here, right now, give them an early warning on it, say, you know, hey, this isn't bad or failed currently, but it is going bad. You might want to have that looked at in the future. And then you just built trust with your customer. That was great customer relations. They're likely more likely to bring that vehicle back to you for that work than they are anywhere else because you pointed it out to them and they obviously trust you now because you made that that fine for them. But you're also going to get that technician that gets that keen, like just a little bit more of a keen eye to say, oh, I saw that on this vehicle before and now it looks like that on this one. I'm going to recommend it. And now they know without having to have anyone there. So now you just got a better technician and you paid your productivity base guy for that particular job instead of your hourly guy and everybody wins. Yeah. And I think that's just looking at it through a different lens, right? I think that that helps. I think it helps to have somebody like you that is, you know, an overall nice guy to be able to help out some <laughs> of the young people. I know there's some some of you technicians out there that might not be the best mentors in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. You're really good at what you do, but probably don't have a lot of interest in in mentoring. So it has to be the right person too. I think that's a that's a big key right there. Yeah, it does help to have that kind of a person with the attitude to, to want to do something like that. And, and it is uh, 
unfortunate. And again, speaking directly to the managers, if you have that in your dealership, that is worth more to you than, than I would say profit from that individual technician, because that individual technician is going to give you that productivity that he needs to make his paycheck. And then he's going to give you the training that you need for your technicians to make your dealership or your shop what it really needs to be for you and for your customers. Because I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about your customers. And you know, that's it. I mean, you, you don't want to lose people like that. People like me, you don't want to lose people like me around. (laughs) So you do whatever you can to keep those guys. So let's, we've got about 10 minutes left. I want to talk about looking forward now. So you're looking at this, this new opportunity with a different pay scale, a different pay rate, a different kind of pay. What, what excites you about it? I mean, over and above the pay, I mean, is it just pay that you're like, Hey, this is cool. It's going to take a, it's a little less stressful or is it, you know, what, what is it when you're looking forward that really, really excites you? You know, it is, obviously it is a little bit about pay. That is very Always important. is, always is. Yeah. Money is evil. I don't, I don't like it as much, <laughs> you know, but it is a necessary evil, unfortunately, but it's more than the pay. It's what the pay says. They appreciate me as a technician. They appreciate my skill, my skill levels. It's something that they know that they need and they they know they can't ask me to do it for free. Nobody works for free. The pay and the pay structure that they've laid out says to me, hey, we want good technicians here and we know that you're worth more and we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that you can get more from us as we will get more from you. It's kind of a, it's the attitude that goes behind it. And the attitude of the people that are there is really good. I do personally know a few people there already. I've been in the industry long enough to make those connections, but that's really good. They, the way that they dispatch is another big thing. And that's something that we didn't really talk about, but the way they dispatch is we have our own advisor for that particular day. And you're working with that one technician, that one advisor all day. And I think that that's a really good way to look at things too, because things don't get mixed up or lost in translation. It's easy to stay kind of on track because you have that one advisor that knows about those customers, their vehicles, and and they want to get them out of the shop just as much as you do. So it's good to have that teamwork, you know, and, and I will say too, that this, this dealership is considerably further from where I live than the dealership I work at right now, but the pay scale, the opportunities to move forward and just the way that they've approached bringing me into the team has just made it so much. It it makes me feel like I know I made the right decision. And um, also a little bit about how my employer now is taking me leaving also supports the, that I've made the right decision. And I think that's a big part that nobody really likes to talk about. It's uh, it's like a, it's like a bad breakup. You know, you never really know someone until, until you're going through it. Right. You know, you don't, you don't really know who you're working for until you're going through the the stuff nobody likes. And that like, nobody likes to leave where they're, where they're working. Like ideally you'd want to work at that one place for as long as you can to get seniority, because that's ultimately how you would get up into higher pay brackets. But, but you know, it does show a lot about somebody when you've left that particular dealership or that shop and then they're treating you like a 
like we don't like this and we're upset at you about this and not like hey we're happy that you're moving on to bigger and better things and you know that's that's good for you like you don't you don't get that very often <laughs> well and that's some level of my frustration is that we talk about so much from from it doesn't matter if it's dealership independent fleet whatever it is you hear so many people say, well, we care about our people. We care about our people from an individual standpoint. Yet there's some of those transitions where somebody's leaving the shop and it ends ugly. And it ends ugly not because the person was a bad person and really not because either side is really a bad person. It's more of just that that hurt and angst from maybe the 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 management side where you're trying to figure out how you how you deal with losing a really good person. And my advice there would be just take a breath, right? Like be able to stand back, don't type or write or whatever, what you're probably thinking at the time, we're all emotional beasts. So we're we're probably (laughs) going to say something that we'll regret at some point. If, if you can take a step back one, it helps you not burn that bridge as an employer. It's not going to get easier to find technicians coming up. So there's a chance that that technician leaves and has a bad experience at their next dealership and they might want to come back and and they might like, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20. You don't want to burn that bridge to where you, you right. lose that person forever. The other thing is that technician knows a lot of other technicians and they talk, right? Maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm wrong there, but my experience always has been, that technicians talk probably more than management would like at times, but, (laughs) but I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Everybody knows everybody and it's, it's, it's hard to get around that. Well, you're out there in the shop with the same people, eight hours a day, five days a week, sometimes more at other places, but you know, you do make those connections and then you don't lose those connections. Typically when you go from shop to shop, you know, a lot of times when you, go into a new job site, the first question is, is there anyone that I know here? And uh, a lot of times there are, especially if you've been working in the same area for a long time, it it happens to where people go all over the place and you know technicians. And I think you said it best right there. We are all talking about this in the back when we're taking our breaks and all that stuff. Technicians talk about this all the time. And I feel honestly kind of feel bad for service managers in a way, because sometimes it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with them. And a lot of times they can't do anything about it either. So you're sitting there in your office getting two week notices from these technicians wondering, what the heck do I do? You know, you can't get anyone higher up to, to see if they can kick down a little bit more pay for that technician. And then you've got to watch that technician walk out the door and you're just like, how do I, how do I change this? I can't get any pushback from the from the top to to give me something more for these guys. And I can't change anything at the level that I'm at. I just have to watch them walk out. And it is unfortunate. But, you know, we do talk about this stuff. And, and in my personal experience as well, I have other technician friends that I work with there who there's two of us leaving currently to the same place. And then there are other people that are hearing about us leaving and what offers that we're getting out there. And they're now peaking interest on leaving to other dealerships or other shops as well. And that's something that you don't want. And that unfortunately, sometimes you can't control. Well, it's human nature just to say, okay, two people are leaving. Why are they leaving? And, right. uh, you know, that's why, I, I don't know. I, that's not just technicians either. I think if any, if you're in any company and you get a bunch of people that leave at the same time, it it 
poses the question as to, okay, what's going on here? And then people right. start to look a little bit deeper and might start questioning that little thing that irritates them every day might become a big thing. And then that causes yeah. them to look, you know, I just think there's, there's a lot of stuff there. One last question for you. How bad does it suck to move your toolbox? Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> I don't have just one. <laughs> That's I have a I have a toolbox and a tool cart and they all fill up and the last dealership the current one that I'm at provides our toolboxes for us so it's loading a toolbox with tools and then loading it onto a trailer driving driving to a dealership unloading it into a toolbox and then storing yours so and that's the same case for this one is they're providing us with our uh, toolboxes and. That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else gives you an opportunity to reorganize or clean something up that you, mu you might have been bugging you for a while or yeah. something like that. Well, Zach, our time is up for today. I guarantee we'll have you back on another show. This has been a lot of fun. Every conversation I have with you, I, I thoroughly enjoy. I, I love your transparency, kind of your candidness and and for some level, I, I think you take some of the emotion out of it, right? Where you're looking at it through a lens and able to talk about it in a way that maybe a lot of other people can't. So I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you giving us an hour of your time to to talk through something that I can guarantee you're not the only one going through this right now, <laughs> right? And 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 there's some people that are, are really trying to understand that, you know, what the thought process is. And I think you did a phenomenal job of walking through that really without throwing anybody under the bus, just kind of looking <laughs> at it as a, a matter of factly and, and kind of laying out the each scenario. And I, I thought this was excellent. So I appreciate your, your time and your candidness and just willing to talk about this. Yeah. It's, it's good to be here and it's good to be a part of something like this. I think that conversations like these need to be a little bit more regular and, uh, you know, service managers, don't be afraid to talk to your techs and techs, don't be afraid to talk to your service managers. Uh, you know, just we got to keep conversations like this uh, a little bit more regular. It, it isn't personal. It's a, it's business. We're all here to get a job done and we're all here, you know, to provide for our families. And, and that's take emotion out of it. It, re it really helps. It does. It, you said it. You said it best right there. Just. You can't be emotional. It's it is just hey, this is what I need. Can can you help me out? You know. And by the by the way, I'm the worst at that uh, taking emotion <laughs> out. I just can't turn the emotion switch off, unfortunately. But no, no. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you're doing for the industry. Best of luck in your new venture here, and we'll be in touch and and look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. 